Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And again, we believe even the holiday was really short, but it was a good opportunity for all of us to get together with our family members, our loved ones, and most importantly, that we really enjoy the fellowship and also have this meaningful and engaging conversations. It's not just about the world, the politics, mainly it's about our human relationships with one another. But meanwhile, if we follow the news closely, we continue to pay attention to the war in Israel. Now, despite the fact that we reached a compromise in terms of ceasefire between Hamas and the nation of Israel, but in reality, we have to understand that this war, no doubt, that brought devastation and, of course, the heartbrokenness upon the citizens not just in the nation of Israel, but also around the world. At the end of the day, we're almost two months away towards the end of 2023. We still need to ask the question, how can we make the world better? And how can we bring peace not only to certain countries, but also around the world? But meanwhile, younger generations today, they need to understand what's happening in the midst of the conflict or in the midst of the war, we also need to examine something more than the war and something more than the international crisis, which are the cultures, the value of language, and the value of human relationship. Well, how do we do that? Well, so that's why today it's our great honor to invite our distinguished speaker, who is the professor Miriam Udell, again, Professor Udell, it's a professor of Yiddish language, literature, and culture at Emory University. Well, Professor Udell, and welcome to The Missing Piece. Thank you so much for having me on, Will. Well, Professor, again, initially when I discovered you, because this amazing article that you wrote before Thanksgiving, as we're watching the war in Israel, it's called, What I Read to My Son. When the world is on fire. Now, Professor, again, looking at the war in Israel and also looking at the ongoing tension between Israel and Hamas, and of course, that we've seen the protest, you know, to support Israel and also Palestine, with everything going on, why do you think it's so important that today we need to take a step back, not to look at the crisis, not to look at the war? But also, let's re-examine the value of the Yiddish language culture. What are your thoughts? Sure. So, um, a phrase that I use at the end of that essay that you alluded to, Will, is rational hope. Um, one of the one of the effects of this recent violence and the devastation that it has wrought on both Israelis and Palestinians, has been a sense of despair and people losing hope that this feels like cyclical violence ratcheted up to the nth degree. Mm. And how are these two peoples who are fated to share this small piece of land along the Mediterranean, how are they going to extricate themselves and get themselves out of this cycle of violence? Where can we look for some sort of other horizon of hope where peace might be possible? And the 
answer that I come to is the answer that I know that Jews have been coming to, and not only Jews, for generations when things have been really difficult and when our communities have faced violence and suffering and anguish. And that is looking to and trying to shape the future into something different and more peaceful than what exists currently. Mm. And that means looking to children's literature. So I'm not an expert in Israel-Palestine, in the conflict, in international relations, um, certainly not in military strategy. But what I am an expert in is children's literature and how it relates to challenging political situations. And I come to that expertise through my investigation of Yiddish culture and trying to gain an understanding of how a hundred years ago at a politically messy time, how Yiddish culture spoke to its young and tried to instill a sense of rational hope about how to reshape the world. Mm. Professor Udell, you know, interestingly speaking, when we think about children's book or children's literature, I remember when I was a child that my parents tried to use the literature. And again, number one, it was a good way for me to be educated. And again, eventually, hopefully, that they were saying that, you know, being a literate person, being a well-educated person is so important. But meanwhile, I think this is something you also wrote in the article. And also, it just um, stood out to me that when we look at children's literature, when we look at children's book, I want to bring the word identity into our conversation. It could actually change or even perhaps in a grander way that shape the identities of children through literature. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Because again, when we look at this Yiddish language or literature, how does that relate to the word identity? And why do you think it's so important that we want our kids or we should impart this part of information upon our children regarding the word identity? Your thoughts? That's a great question. So one of the ideas that I talk about very briefly in that essay comes from an educator named Emily Stile, who said that we need children's books to give their readers a window and a mirror. Mm. And the mirror is the idea that you see your own cultural identity, your own cultural heritage, maybe cultural, maybe national, maybe religious, maybe some combination of all of those reflected in the stories that you read. And you, you, give children a sense of being grounded in their own culture, being knowledgeable in their own culture about the language or languages that they are inheriting, about the history, the holidays, the heroic figures who have been very important to their culture. And that's all part of the mirror. Oh, I see myself here. I recognize myself. I recognize mm -hmm. the kind of self that my caregivers, my educators, my grown-ups are trying to impart to me. And at the same time, I'm gaining a window 
onto the experience of others mm. so that I know that in, you know, early in the the new Gregorian year, there's going to be Chinese New Year, or that in December, um, some people of African heritage are lighting candles for Kwanzaa, and I gain access to all of these other cultures mm. that are not my own heritage, and I'm able to situate myself in relation to them as sort of a a curious global citizen who has a sense of connection to all of these other identities in the world. And if you are a child who um, who has an identity that is implicated in some sort of a major conflict, like a Jewish child or an Israeli child or a Palestinian child or an Arab child other than, than a Palestinian child, where you have special eyes on a particularly fraught situation, coming to an understanding of those, the culture of the other, right? Coming to an understanding of those other cultures mm. through a representation in children's literature can be a really critical way of affirming that I identify, right? I have identity with my own people, but I also have a capacity to understand and to empathize with the people on the so-called other side mm. of a divide. Professor Udell, I want to move on to our conversation. Now, again, let's go back to the article. Why do you think it's so essential that for our own children to understand our own culture first before connecting with the world. You know, again, this is, um, I remember a couple years ago, among some of the major universities and colleges or even high schools worldwide, there was a debate whether we should allow children to understand the world culture first before knowing the local culture or knowing the domestic culture. But today, I think more and more uh, highly intellectual educators, or even we're talking about um, the people who are heavily involved in education, tend to shift attention to believe that we have to let our children to celebrate our own culture first before we can introduce the world to them. So from your perspective, again, for some of us or most of us, that we aren't familiar with the Yiddish culture or the Yiddish language why do you think it's so important or even essential for let our children to understand the fundamental Yiddish language culture and the value before embracing the world? What do you think of that? So from my perspective, Will, I wouldn't I wouldn't express this in terms of should. I don't really know which is a superior approach, whether mm. to try to ground one's child in one's own culture first sequentially and then to learn about foreign cultures. But I can describe, right, I'm not prescribing what I think should happen, but I can mm. describe what I see happening historically and also in this contemporary moment, mm. which is that typically when we just think about access mm. for a young child, it's 
typical that the child has much more exposure to the home culture first chronologically, sequentially, before looking abroad. Mm. Um, and that I think that there's actually a degree of parental effort and energy that goes into broadening a child's perspective at young ages onto other cultures and that picture books can be a really important part of that. I mentioned in the essay that I that I wrote that it was inviting a Palestinian friend over for dinner on Friday night. Friday night for my family is Shabbat, it's mm. the Sabbath. We make a special meal. We shut off all of our electronics. We don't use our phones. We don't have television on. And we just focus on family and welcoming friends and sharing conversation over a special meal. And so I have a I, I had a colleague who remains a friend um, who's Palestinian and he was going to actually be leaving Atlanta. And before he did that, we wanted to enjoy a Shabbat meal mm. with him. And so when he asked what he could bring, I asked him to bring a children's book about his homeland mm. for our son, who was seven. And he's very generous and he wasn't sure of our son's exact reading level. Mm. So he didn't show up with one book. He showed up with a, an enormous gift bag full of books ranging all the way from picture books to middle grade novels um, for our son to enjoy. And, you know, he he did us a real favor because we didn't have Palestinian books on our bookshelf, but we want our son at this point as a second grader mm. to be exposed to the idea of Palestinian culture, just as we do have books for him about Mexican and Mexican-American culture, about um, Black Southern experience in the U.S. We have folk tales from different places around the world, from Africa, from Korea, from China, mm. um, from Latin America. And so parents can really curate that collection for their children, often I think with the help of friends from, from other cultures. And that can really broaden the sense of horizons. Mm. You know, Professor Udell, as you were telling the story, Again, as a father myself, and I have to say that I would love to to build my family around international friends. I mean, again, before moving overseas, that my wife and I, we tend to believe that parents are the role models. So when the children, when they see that how parents engaged with international fellowship or international friends, we put the politics and we put the differences on the side, just only on the table, only sitting to table as friends. I mean, again, we share relationship and we share the word called humanity altogether. Now, that kind of tie into the next question is how important it is, you think today, that for parents to understand and to read the uh, children's book together with children because too often we tend to see well um you know i would say holidays thanksgiving christmas everything's coming up my parents take their kids to the bookstores go pick your favorite books 
And then Wes get home. Well, little Johnny, why don't you go read the books that you bought? Or little Lucy, why can't you sit in the corner? Let's enjoy the book. But I see that a lot of parents they miss that part, or they tend to overlook the the role of parental involvement. So, from your perspective, again, talk about the culture, talk about the language and the literature. How important it is for parents to be involved actively when kids are reading, especially we're looking at different cultures and different history. What do you say to that? About one of my great passions, and something that I feel like you know, shouting from the rooftops. If anyone's <laughs> going to listen to me about anything, um, it is the idea of shared reading、mm. as a family activity. And the way that I come to this is that Yiddish is a fusion language of Eastern European Jewry that developed approximately between. The turn of the millennium, the the year one thousand,、um, that's been with us ever since,、mm. and so it's about a thousand year tradition. And for the vast majority of that time, the Yiddish has existed. It was an almost exclusively oral culture, as、mm. opposed to a written culture. We start to see significant Yiddish. Publishing of written texts only in the 19th century. I, I shouldn't say significant. There were significant texts before that, but widespread、mm. publishing and dissemination through through publishing of the written word. And it was really not until the turn of the 20th century that families, for the most part, could afford to have a lot of written books around. And that means that, insofar as stories were shared and enjoyed, they were shared orally.、Mm. And when there started to be written books, a family might possess a few, and somebody who had good reading ability would read aloud. Very typically. On the Sabbath, when people had a rest from their work,、mm. there would be Sabbath begins for us at sundown on Friday, and it it extends until sundown on Saturday.、Mm. That means that during the winter months, there's a long Friday night in Eastern Europe. It might go from before four o'clock until the following night around five p.m.、Um, and during the summer months. There's a long Sabbath afternoon, and those would be prime times for reading and sharing as a family.、Mm. And I feel like now we have very much defaulted to this age-stratified consumption of culture, where as soon as children achieve independent literacy, we expect them. To go off and read the books that we bought for them at the bookstore, as,、mm. as you say, will、um, and parents and children are not necessarily discussing the reading material beyond the youngest ages when parents have to read aloud to their children because the children can't read yet.、Mm. And there's so much that we stand to lose by not sharing the experience of reading, and there's so much. That we stand to gain when there is a continuing commitment to reading out loud, enjoying the text, enjoying the jokes together, talking about the parts that 
make us uncomfortable or mm. challenge us or make us sad or raise difficult emotions and being able to confront those together intergenerationally mm. um, it's such a different way of reading and we we stand to profit by it so deeply mm. professor two more questions before letting you go now i want to go back to the article this is something that you wrote and i quote and I want non-Jewish families to read books that represent our full humanity in all our particular Jewish vulnerabilities and joy. Now, Professor, why is that important to have what we call non-Jewish families to read books and represent the word called full humanity? What does that mean? Because again, you know, I have to say that Look at the intricacy and also complexity of modern politic games. Socially speaking, culturally speaking, it's either polarization is happening or we tend to go to the other side of spectrum is I am not interested and therefore I'm not going to get involved. But meanwhile, I think the missing part is to find what we say, quote, outsiders to understand the scope and also appreciate the full humanity. So what does that mean when you, again, going back to the, uh, the story, to invite non-Jewish families to read books that represent the full humanity? Your thoughts. Red Will um, comes immediately after a paragraph where I talk about some of the picture books that we've read with our son that the mm. friend brought over that talk about the Palestinian experience and that teach him to understand that the supposed other side of this conflict also has a compelling narrative and history and culture that is worthy of respect and dignity and safety. And the flip side of that is that I want all kinds of non-Jewish families to encounter our own Jewish accounts of all different aspects of life, whether it be in Israel or in the diaspora, all of the other places where Jews have lived and continue to live and thrive. And I think that the the major risk in any sort of a conflict, in any sort of a political divide, is the dehumanization of mm. the other, of the idea that their lives, they might be human beings, we might you know, nominally or notionally acknowledge that, but their lives and safety matter less mm. than my life mm. and safety. And that is an idea that has to be combated at the root, their lives don't matter less, our lives don't matter less. And the only way to really feel that in your bones is, or, or maybe it's not the only way, but I think that the best way to feel that in your bones from a very young age is to know people and know stories mm. about all of those lives and mm. that the stories can give us access when we don't really have a lot of access to the individual people in an arena of friendship and relationship. Indeed, Professor, I agree with you 100%. Stories 
a powerful and stories are the mechanisms to connect strangers together and we share the humanity with one another. Now, I want to wrap up our conversation again, going back to the article. That's something that you wrote towards the end. And I quote, children's literature can solve all the problems, but it creates arena in which to dream an essential readout of rational hope. And without hope, nothing good will come. So as we continue to follow the war in Israel, as we continue to look at international crises, at the end of the day, uh, Professor Udell, how much should we still be hopeful, especially when children are looking for answers, especially when children are looking for understandings and looking for explanations about what's going on? What do you think is the most effective or what we we'll say approachable way to let them understand hope is still on the way? What's happening today is still only temporary. We need to look at the bigger picture. We need to look at the word humanity in a more humane way. Your final thoughts. Well, I don't want to be a Pollyanna and say, oh, no matter what, we have to have hope. I understand how foolish that would be and also even how cruel that would be when people are still counting their dead, mm. when there is so much mourning and grief, when old women and fathers and young babies are being held hostage, when Palestinian children are buried under rubble, and cannot even be gotten out to be given decent burial rights. These are terrible times, and I don't want to soft pedal or underestimate that. But what I say, and I, I know I mentioned it before, I, I can't underscore it enough, is that we need sources, we need resources for rational hope, mm. for looking forward to building a better world. I talk about how these, these Yiddish authors that I study tried to write a better world into being, and that now we, as parents, as citizens of the world, need to use children's literature or might use children's literature to read a better world into being, to teach our children that what they see now, all of this terror and all of this grief and all of this violence and danger is a political choice mm. and that we can make other political choices and that the affirmation that hope is possible is itself a political decision that is available to us mm. and that we need to make and that we need to follow to its logical consequences. That's right, Professor. Again, I agree with you wholeheartedly, even though we're looking at the war, looking at the chaos around the world today. But still, we need to be hopeful. But meanwhile, we need to have what, what, what you call, Professor, as rational hope. Well, again, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to speak to Professor Marian Udell. Again, Professor Udell, it's a professor of Yiddish culture and language. And again, I strongly encourage everyone go online and check out her latest article. Again, it's called 
what I read to my son when the world is on fire. And we continue to pray for the citizens around the world and continue to pray that the peace and stability shall fall upon every single nation as we towards the uh, as we see towards the end of the 2023 well again professor thank you so much for your time it's been a pleasure and we'd love to have you back on the show as we continue to follow the events and most importantly we're looking forward to having the more conversation with you regarding the children's books literature and again everything that we need to understand about the word humanity so thank you so much for doing this in conversation with you. Thank you.